everyone. Welcome to From the Kitchen Table. I'm Sean Duffy, along with my co-host of the podcast. She's my partner in life. She's also my wife, Rachel Campos Duffy. Well, I have my favorite coffee cup with me today, Sean. You're I love my husband coffee cup. Yeah. <laughs> when we get in a fight and Sean wants to make up, he'll make me coffee in this cup. <laughs> so or, just to remind me, I love my husband. Or when we're in a fight and, and you're wrong, I'll make a cup of coffee just to remind you that you love me and you're probably wrong. <laughs> <laughs> it is funny. Listen, I'm excited about today's show. We're going to uh, go through a, a number of different topics. We're going to talk about preppers, um, bunkers, and billionaires, which will be kind of fun. Yes. Uh, we're going to talk about Joy Reid, crazy talking about you know the transgender issue in books and school. But, but first, let's talk about last. It's night's. not transgender. It's pedophilia Pedoph and like you. sodomy. Okay, like and she wants that in your school. Okay, and she exposes the left wing. But first, let's talk about last night's uh, race in New Hampshire. Uh, Donald Trump won by uh, eleven points. I believe it was fifty-five point five to. Uh, 43.2, if, that, if mm -hmm. I'm not mistaken. Uh, 11 point victory. But um, she's not getting out. She's not getting out. But, and, and again, I think, again, if someone wants to stay in the race, they can. They can. They have every right to do that. I think what's important, though, is that Donald Trump, you know, leave Nikki Haley aside. They're going to go to South Carolina, her home state. Donald Trump is going to trounce her there. Um, you push her aside. Don't talk about her. Don't think about her. Focus on Joe Biden. And that's, that's, that's interesting last night, Sean. I know. So I was watching it. So everyone knows I like Trump and I find a lot of what he does very humorous. So Trump wins. Nikki Haley gives a speech very, very early when it looks like she's winning by seven points, but she ends up losing by how much? Uh, uh, 11. 11, 11 points. So when she's down to seven points, she gives a speech that feels like a victory speech. It's weird. Okay, I'll, I'll concede that. Then later on in the evening, Donald Trump comes on to give his victory speech. He's got Tim Scott, Vivek, a few others behind him. And Doug he, Burgum. Doug, yeah, and he gives this speech. And I'm enjoying it because I enjoy, like, the unpredictability. He's like, hey, you get up here and say a few words. And you get up here and say a few words. And it, you, you just never, it's kind of what I like about Trump is that it always feels like a tightrope, like something could go wrong in any moment. And, and I love that unpredictability about politics um, that he brings to politics. But, he, and it's uniquely him. And Sean was sitting there. We were watching this in bed, and Sean's like shaking his head. And I'm like, "What? What? 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 What don't you like about this? This is fun." And Sean's like, "He's losing. He he has this chance right now where maybe CNN, MSNBC, the network, the the, the other, you know, C, uh, ABC, etc., might pick him up, and he has a chance to actually bring in." And some of these suburban women and start to unify the party. And instead, he starts attacking the candidate that a lot of these suburban women like instead of going, look, she did a good job. And, you know, there's room for her somewhere. You know. So, as you know, I've also been a, a huge fan of President Trump. I think he's done remarkable things. And I also um, have had no problem offering, offering him advice. And oftentimes I get swatted away. So I have no problem. I would say this to, to his face <laughs> if I had the opportunity. And he'd swat you away. He would. He swat He'll have some and, reason and why he did he, it. Absolutely, and I'm okay with that. Um, and, and he doesn't take offense to the advice that I give because it's unsolicited and, and whatever. But I think it's interesting. So what would you be your advice? Well, so first Say off, it better than me. So, so first off, you have, you have M, uh, MSNBC and CNN 
right when Trump gets good, they cut away from him. They believe that, you know, Donald Trump's language and message is so powerful, they don't want their viewers to actually see it. Which is what happened the last time. They, they well, In 2016, they played him all the time. And people are like, this guy makes sense. And a lot of Democrats uh, voted for him. A lot of, you know, moderates voted for him who watched those networks. So they've been cutting away from Donald Trump. At, uh, in Iowa. In Iowa and yeah. in, in other speeches that he's given. So tonight, maybe if they were going to cover him, and he had a message that, you know, it was a vision for America, which he does a really good job at. Where do I want to take the country? Who are we going to be? How do we have to fix this huge problem that Joe Biden has created? Instead of doing that, he started punching down at, at Nikki Haley. Now, he, I know he's not afraid to punch down, but she's irrelevant. She's, she's a non-story. And you're bigger than that. You're a former president. You, you want to be president again. You focus on anyone who will listen the message that you have on where you want to take us. Be hopeful. Uh, and I got a couple of messages from some women in my life outside of you who are like, God, he can't help himself. What is he doing? Yeah, and that's so interesting. Um, and again, I, I must be like a man. Like, <laughs> well, I, I was enjoying it. And then, but then when you said it, as soon as you said it, I was like, you're right. This was a missed opportunity. It's a, it's, it's, it is fun. Right. Yeah. If, if you like him, you already like him. It's a fun, right. It's a tight walk. By the way, it was funny. He's, he's like, I'm gonna let Vivek come up and say a couple words, but only one minute. And he said Vivek only had one minute multiple times because I think once Vivek gets the microphone, he doesn't give it back. Right. <laughs> which know? is why, which is why Will and Pete, my two co-hosts on the Fox and Friends are like, Vivek is not going to get to be vice president because he can't help himself. He's such an alpha male himself that he just wants to take the stage and Donald Trump's not going to like that. And then he gave, he gave Tim Scott a chance to talk. And then he gave, you know, uh, Tom Homan got in and actually did okay. a good job talking about the border. But people don't really care what Tom Homan has to say about no. the border. As, and I love you, Tom Holman. He's a great guy. Love Tom um, but they want to know what Donald Trump is going to do. And you're right. It was a missed opportunity. Yeah. So and uh, it, it, show, it showed in a, in, a mo in one moment, Sean, it, you encapsulate here. He had this historic win to win as a, not a president running in a reelection, you know, as a former president running. Um, he won Iowa. He New won Hampshire. New Hampshire that hadn't been done in what, like 70 years. Nobody's yeah. ever done that. Totally historic moment. And then in total Trumpian fashion, he had to go and settle a few scores um, instead of just like you said, just she was irrelevant. Don't be too mean because her voters like her. Try and win them over and move forward. So and I, and I think that plays into a lot of perceptions that some of these independent voters who, are, who might be undecided that don't like that don't like Joe Biden, but they're like, can I vote for him in? This was a reminder for for some of them why they don't want to vote for him. Um, and again, I, I I like everything he does, and I and I like um, and I had fun watching it as well. But I want him to win. The country needs him to win. We can't have four more years of Joe Biden, and that's why I was like, oh, come on, man. If I was Joe Biden, come on, man. All right. So that was last night's election in in uh, New Hampshire. We're going to be on to South Carolina. And Where he's going to win again and defy every expectation despite, you know, what? having just... everything thrown at him. He still wins. And I think that's the kind of frustration that he has, right? Can I just say what's interesting? And this is this is really hard as a politician. Um, Nancy Mace was endorsed by Nikki Haley. Donald Trump endorsed her opponent, right? And Nancy Mace from South Carolina has come out and not endorsed Nikki Haley, who endorsed her, she endorsed Donald Trump. Why did Trump. she do that? So her district has gotten a little more conservative. And I think she's concerned. 
that she could lose if she seems a little bit too moderate. So for her protecting her own political hide, she's endorsed Donald Trump. But also Tim Scott. Tim Scott, I served in the House with him. We won in 2010. Mick Mulvaney, Tim Scott, Trey Gowdy, we all won in the same year. And well, there was a, two or three years after we were in the, the House, Nikki Haley elevated Tim Scott to be the senator from the state. And had somebody, a had, somebody retired early right. and they had to appoint somebody. And she chose him. And she chose, Nikki Haley chose Tim Scott. And Tim Scott in this race chose Donald Trump to endorse. So it's interesting, and that's that's going to be really hard. That that did not that was not easy for Tim Scott, I can imagine, but I think he's looking forward to what's best for the country, and he sees. Or it maybe as what's Trump. best for him because he's on the vice presidential list of picks. Um, you know, so it, it is interesting. I, the 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 two strangest things that have happened, um, and and I say this as a political spouse who has seen this the workings inside of Wisconsin politics, has been how many national candidates, federal candidates endorse Donald Trump over Ron DeSantis in Florida. I, I was like, yeah. what is Don, what is Ron uh, DeSantis doing that's pissing these people off? Because it's just not normal that that happens. And, and everyone gives you a pass. Like, even if you like the guy, even if you like Donald Trump, if you're in Wisconsin, you're like, I, I, we got we got to stick by our Wisconsin guys. Right. And, you know, that's just kind of how it goes. It's really unusual to not endorse the person running out of your state. And then you see this happen again in South Carolina. It makes you wonder, is it that Donald Trump is so powerful or is it that, you know, there's some internal state politics that rubbed some of these people the wrong way and this was their way to sort of well, express it. Okay, do you know the answer to that question? What is it? Well, of course, in Ron DeSantis, who again was a great governor, I love all the things he's, he's done and I wanna be cautious about how hard I hit him, but he did not build relationships with the congressional delegation in the state. They actually didn't like him. He wasn't nice to them. They loved what he did, but they didn't like him personally. Yeah. And they liked Donald Trump personally. And we can talk about policy all we want, it, it, whether it's in a home state, who are you going to endorse? But also in politics and voting, it's about who do you like? A yeah, lot of that comes It's a very relational play. business. It, it really is. It's it's. Mm. It's it is a little bit of a popularity contest as well as policies. They both they but go not they just go popularity, together. but like, are you a nice person? Like can ability. I trust you? Are you somebody I can go to and say, listen, my district's having this problem and I need your help? And and you're actually, you know, I think Ron DeSantis probably followed through, but he probably just did it in a way that people didn't like. I don't know. I don't know what he did, but he just you saw it on the trail. You, you, he, he couldn't connect. It was a bit awkward. Yeah. Uh, but, All right. But make no mistake, Ron DeSantis will be back. Nikki Haley in 2028 will be back when Donald Trump is not on the ballot. And uh, we'll cover that when it happens. But we got four years to do that. So before we move on, can I just one more thing? Sure. There's a theory out there and I want to get your, your thought. Kaylee McEnany brought this up last night on Fox News. She says that the reason why Nikki Haley's sticking in this race is because she wants to gather as many sort of of those neocon, traditional, I hate Donald Trump, Republican voters, and even some independents who don't want to go Democrat this way. And that if there's enough of them, that Donald Trump will have to make amends with them and the way to make amends with them and sort of unify the party is through her. At the same time, you have people like Don Jr., uh, Tucker Carlson, Rand Paul, who started a Never Nikki um, website and, and movement. You have all these sort of conservatives going, 
we're going to leave John. Well, I don't think Don Jr. is going to leave Donald Trump, but the others are like, uh, this is a this is not a ticket that any we won't support Donald Trump if he brings in Nikki Haley because she's so much of the bad stuff we hate about the Democrats. She's basically a Democrat light. We don't want her. Um, do you think that that she's trying to force her way to be the vice presidential candidate? So let's be fair to Nikki. First, um, when we we, I, we we were talking and we said the most popular Democrat in the race is Nikki Haley in New Hampshire. It's right? true. But 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 with that said, she's not a Democrat. Right. She's she is a George Bush. She's an old school Republican. Right. right. She's she's a neocon. She likes war. Um, she wish it were 34 trillion in debt. She wants to send more money to Ukraine. So I do think there's um, there's a, a benefit to bringing in your enemies and making them your allies when you campaign. And it is about winning. Donald Trump is like we talked about the speech last night. He doesn't do anything, you know, traditionally. I don't think. Uh, if Nikki Haley stays in through Super Tuesday, she stays in through the convention. There's no way Donald Trump is going to select her as a vice president. She is she is solidifying that she will not be part of the ticket um, by but, staying in the well, race. She goes to South Carolina and then endorses after that endorses Trump. That's fine. But if she goes through Super Tuesday, I think he's going to be like, no way. So I don't, uh, think, I, I, don't I, I don't think it's that it's interesting, but I don't think that is a philosophy that's going to necessarily play out. I think it's deeper. I think that Donald Trump was burned so bad by having tried to bring in establishment Republicans into his America first administration. And a lot of them undermined him from underneath one of them being, you know, vice president Pence. It's not just what happened at the end. There was a lot of stuff happening with his staff um, that were very anti-Trump. We're trying to sort of build another sort of power base to counter him at all these different measures of things that he was doing. I don't think he would do it. And at the same time, there are powerful voices like Rand Paul, like Tucker Carlson, um, and even people whispering into the ears of Don Jr. to the point where Don Jr. had to go, oh, no, that's not happening. So, so I think it's very it, it's very interesting. I think he's been chastened. He has been chastened. Um, I just I, I don't think um, this happens because when you he had a lot of disloyalty. Yes. And he wants loyalty. That's people what I mean. buy into exactly what I mean. You, know what? you always say what I'm, what I, what takes me 20 sentences to say, you say Listen, one. Let's take a quick break and we're going to come back with our next topic. We're going to talk about Joy Reid uh, and discuss further. All right. Welcome back. Uh, we're now going to go into Joy Reid from MSNBC, um, a story that Rachel is wild about. Yeah, so let me let me set this up. So, uh, you know, there's been a lot of uh, talk, as you know, uh, parents going to school board meetings, really concerned about the kind of books that are in the classroom, but also tucked away in the libraries. So you have librarians actually ordering books, um, putting them in the library that are totally inappropriate. Sometimes these books are assigned in class as well. And of course, um, uh, one of these books, and, and there are many of them, um, is All Boys Aren't Blue by an author named George M. Johnson, who's a non-binary person who had been, um, I guess, incestually raped as a child and writes about it. And you're wondering, like, why would why do why do kids want to hear about this? Like, why would that be important? We have so many things our kids aren't getting, like math, science, reading. And by the way, the classics, like who's reading? Most kids, they want to read about Huckleberry Finn or Wizard of Oz or the Little House on the Prairie or like our kids, a lot of Greek mythology. That's what kids want. But no, no, no. Um, people like Joy Reid think our kids really need to hear about the trauma 
in graphic detail of a young boy being anally sodomized, sexually abused by an adult male family member in very graphic ways described and almost in a soft porn way. It isn't even, it's, it's disgusting. Yes, um, well, one well, person who read it aloud, by the way, Sean, is Senator John Kennedy, just to give an example um, in, in, in a hearing. Can I read it? Sure. If you have kids around, take them out of the room. I'll put this on pause. Um, this is from the book, All Boys Aren't Blue. I put some lube on him and got him on his knees. I began to slide into him from behind. I pulled out of him and kissed him while he masturbated. He asked me to turn over while he slipped a condom on himself. So um, this is this is gross. This has no place in a school library. No taxpayer funds should be used for books like this. And so um, Tiffany Justice for Moms for Liberty uh, agreed to go on the Joy Reid show, which is a pretty uh, ballsy move. So let's play the clip, a uh, small clip of their interaction. Watch. Yeah. The question I'm asking is, what is the expertise that you have and other Moms for Liberty advocates have to decide that a book, an award winning book like All Boys Aren't Blue, isn't appropriate for students to read? What, what, is a, expertise? what a tragic story of a young man who's anally raped by his adult family member. So you have incest, rape, pedophilia. Joy, you said you'd let me answer. So sure. I'm going to answer. Please for do. You. Um, in what context is a strap on dildo acceptable for public school later in that? interview she also says well uh, joy reed's defense is first of all in that in that clip she says it's an award-winning book like by the way these awards for for children's literature are totally rigged if you have a non-binary story that has graphic details like that you're going to get the award if you have a story of how you were you know racially you know discriminated against in america the freest most equal place to live in the world where everybody wants to come um you have uh you know, you get you get access to an award um, that that's how they set up these awards. So the fact that it got an award doesn't mean anything anymore. Children's literature is in, in terms of what's promoted and, and awarded and given prestige is dead. But also later on in the interview, Sean, she says, well, why why do you have the right to take this book out of schools when this is could be someone's lived experience? Which is troubling, right? So if this is someone's lived experience that they wrote about in this book, um, again, this should not be content in the library. This should be content for law enforcement um, or you. for counselors. Um, because as, as Tiffany Justice pointed out, this is incest, this is rape, this is pedophilia. Um, but I thought what was more interesting in the clip where Joy Reid is like, what's your expertise with moms for liberty? Yes, you're right, honey. And, 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 the, and the point is... You don't need an expert to, to know that this content is not appropriate for any kids in any uh, school library. We don't talk about, we should talk about any kind of sex with our kids, you know, how to perform sex or, gra I mean, again, this reminds me of, um, of Hustler. I mean, this is a very graphic. It's very. It's presented in a very soft porn way. Absolutely, Sean. Can I? Can I say which is what hustle, By the way, I'm not going to go back to when I was 12 years old. And but hustler, <laughs> hustler, hustler tells stories like Rachel's kicking me under the table. <laughs> like oh my god, I didn't but know hustler, the story about when you were 12. I, we haven't got into that yet. But well, I'm anyway. That's for a different show. But anyway, this is what they do. It is. It, it, yeah. it is. They're, it's, it's, they're trying to be erotic. 
um, in this content. And for some kids, if they find that right, and this is this is not this is this is not building the education. It's not building character. It's not building morality. It's doing none of the things that we would hope our public school would do. And the fact that you have Joy Reid, who's like, well, you're not an expert. We need experts to come in and say that this is inappropriate because a, a parent doesn't have the grounding, the knowledge, the foundation and education to say that this is inappropriate for kids. This is how nuts the left has become. Well, I would say this, Sean, that it actually is a perfect example of what they think that parents aren't they guess what the parents are the experts thank you the parents absolutely get this which is why they're showing up at school board meetings saying reading this stuff and then the school boards are the ones saying don't read that in public so it's okay for our kids in the library or in their classrooms or to be assigned these books but it's inappropriate in a school board meeting with adults like it's just crazy the parents are the experts. And again, these are people who hate children. Um, I, I have children. They don't, they are, would be embarrassed to have to read this stuff for a school assignment. They don't want this kind of information. What they want is to be taught, um, how to read, how to write. Um, school is for that purpose, but for liberals, government schools for which they have a monopoly, it's basically a cartel is for indoctrinating your kids. And one of the ways that they indoctrinate your kids and turn them into activists is to separate them from their values. And one of the ways to separate them from your values and, and use them for the power of the state as activists, liberal Marxist activists, is to use sexuality because sexuality is a way that they can sort of move them away from their innocence and their protection of their family and into this other realm of which yeah. for which they can be upon. We have an entire podcast about this. And if you go to our library, look for um, our podcast with Mike Gonzalez from the Heritage Foundation, where he goes back in history and shows that at the turn of the century, when the socialists were advancing in the in the early parts of the of the 1900s, they attempted this kind of stuff in Eastern Bloc countries, what's now you know Hungary and, and so forth. They tried to do this and they were kicked out of those countries because they were trying to in, use a sexualized curriculum, trying to sexualize children early in order to um, advance their political objectives. And they ended up getting kicked out of Hungary. They went to Germany, they had the Frankfurt School there and many of those people ended up coming to the United States um, and were sort of the early parts of the of the progressive unions that um, ended up taking over our schools. So this is there's a massive history to this, and people should understand it. This isn't a one off. This book didn't just land here for some reason, you know that that that's not um, grounded in a bigger objective. It absolutely is part of the liberal agenda. So I, I want to go to a, a, another point here as well. Um, again, you're right. This goes back, you know, whether it's a hundred years, but for sure, decades and generations, they've been they've been working to take over the school system and to infiltrate with this kind of material. But if you look at this, you have to understand that the the left, the teachers' unions, these librarians, and their mouthpieces on MSNBC, like Joy Reid, they're trying to normalize this interaction between an adult and a child. They're trying to normalize incest, rape. And pedophilia and then not only just normalized they're actually celebrating yeah giving awards pedophilia, yeah incest um, and rape and you have to ask yourself how demented does a human being have to be 
to think that a, a child who we know they're they're more helpless, they're more voiceless, they can't they can't protect themselves. That you would celebrate the abuse of a child um, by way of celebrating a book and making sure that kids have a right to see that book in your school system. It shows how cuckoo crazy you are. And it brings me to this point. This week is um, a school choice week, celebrating school choice. Mm -hmm. um, and this is not, these are not just random, like crazy left-wing schools. This stuff is happening in school systems all across the country, not just blue states, blue cities, but also red states, red cities. It's happening. Um, and that's why we've seen so many parents make the decision to move from public school where this um, celebration of pedophilia, pornography, um, and rape are celebrated to go to schools that actually match their values, that will actually instruct, teach, enlighten their children to make them young, strong, educated adults, and free thinking too, by the way, mm -hmm. um, to, go, to go out into the world. Um, and I think you're going to see this movement continue. There are 10 states now that have fully gone with a voucher system. So no matter your salary, no matter your background, any child who um, wants to go to a different school, the money follows the child to the school to which they want to go. The money just doesn't go to the school system. That's a huge distinction. And I think what could happen is market forces come, could come into play. And as the the public schools start to lose students, they may have to rethink, does our teaching, does our education, um, does the morality of the school, if it doesn't match the public, we're going we're gonna to go out of business. We're going to mm -hmm. lose teachers. We're going to, you know, our, our union is going to be diminished. Maybe we should rethink the way we're doing business so our education, our platforms match the values of uh, the communities in which we teach. So That's it's Arizona, it's West Virginia... Arkansas, Florida, Indiana, Iowa, Oklahoma, Utah, um, all making universal um, school choice the law. In, and, and to me, it is absolutely, it's, it's, it should be the right of the parent to decide where their money goes for their child's education, where they send their kid. Um, and, and again, back to Joy Reid, she's a mother. I believe she has three children. Hmm. Any parent who thinks that that's appropriate for a school you have to question them as parents. I'm sorry. Maybe you have to question them as parents. If you think that's appropriate, then social, you need you should social, social services social should be calling your house, Joy Reid. Um, I'm sorry. It's 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 just it's a fundamental misunderstanding of what children want. They want to be children. They want to hold on to their innocence as long as they can. They want things that I mean. I, they want books. And, and, and stories um, that expand their imagination. Um, they don't want to be pushed into adulthood too early. And, and, and so it's true, Sean, there are some children who have had these horrible experiences, um, too many of them. Uh, but wh why you would want to expose children who haven't had th those experiences, which are the majority of children, into that world, push them into that world, that dark place, I don't understand why you would want well, to do that. Well, I think this is really confusing to, to have yes. a school system celebrate their pain and their anguish 
for the gratification of an adult. You make a good point. You know, there's for so often it is adults who protect and nurture children, and it's it's innate. It's human. That that's what we do. Um, and you've seen this new leftist philosophy where they're not to be nurtured and and reared. These kids, they see them as political tools. Yes. They see them as a way for them to accomplish their political ends, um, as opposed to the next generation that needs to be, again, educated, informed, enlightened, free thinkers. And when you realize that, you would understand you would never send your child into that lion's den. Which yeah. is why, again, um, it's so well, that's choice what is the way to go. But if, if you're in a place in a state where there is no school choice um, and, and God bless Moms for Liberty, they are heroes. Oh, they are. They go. They, they, they get so much abuse, so many arrows shot at them. Um, you know, if one member does something bad and that's happened and as happens in any organization, they all get smeared. Um, these moms are heroes and they go to these meetings and they take all this abuse and they do it for their own children and they do it for your children. But I have said this many times, I don't want to spend my Thursday nights doing that. And I have been able to find a school that matches my values, a classical Catholic school. Not every child, um, not every family can afford to send their child to public school, which is why I advocate for government funds to go to the parents so they can afford that. Um, but then I, I say go to, to, to homeschooling. Um, it's worth it. Um, don't let your, you know, I, I don't let your children, um, become part of that system. I think you just got to pull them out. And the other thing is, you know, a lot of grandparents are, you know, putting money away to, for their grandchildren to inherit money when they pass away. Don't wait that long. Um, hand that money over to an education fund for their parents, your, your own sons, adult sons and daughters, so they can use that money to send their kids to a, a, a private to help, uh, Christian to help, to help or save your grandkids. charter or school. Aunts and uncles can uh, participate as well. You mentioned um, homeschooling. Uh, that's daunting. We haven't done it, but the no. curriculums that are there Amazing. make it really so much easier for parents to homeschool. Uh, the, the homeschool parents that I've talked to, they have said the curriculum makes it um, somewhat seamless, but also the communities that come together and how these homeschool kids are able to get more, because people are concerned about the social aspect of being right. homeschooled. That's such an and old way of thinking. It, it they is, all get together. It's all and, been yeah. changed. So um, again, we thought this is an important story that we should talk about because it's happening across the country. And Joy Reid pulled the curtain back to expose the way the left thinks about our children. And we think it's important to discuss. But I want to take a quick break and I want to come back um, and I want to talk about preppers, shelters. Um, and billionaires. What do the billionaires. billionaires know that we don't know? Because they're building and prepping um, at a much higher level than than all of you who are getting freeze-dried food and um, Whoa, well, some canning Let's not equipment. the freeze-dried. All right, we'll, we'll talk about that right <laughs> after this. All right, welcome back. Now we're going to get into like one of my favorite topics, prepping, bunkers, but also we're going to talk about the billionaires who are playing my crazy game. Right, so I, Sean, I don't you have a bunker. I just I'm a little bit. Of a we prepper. don't. But if you had the money, if you were a billionaire, we would have a bunker. I you, know that about you. We would have a bunker. And and this doomsday prepping you thought was just people on the right, you know, people who buy gold, gold coins, um, you know, who from the commercials that? that you see on Fox. You thought you you thought it was those people, people like Sean, who are like, I better better get my canning supplies just in case. Just in case. Oh no, liberal 
billionaires, the sort of um, tech company guys, the Silicon Valley guys, these people are also into the prepping. Let me tell you how big the business is, Sean. The doomsday prepping business is, and it's not a hobby for people anymore. It is an $11 billion business. That's how much Americans spent on survival items. That's all of us. Um, between April 2022 and April 2023 in one year, $11 billion. And it's not just the billionaires in Silicon Valley and the, you know, older conservatives, middle-aged conservatives, Gen Z's on it. Get this, a whopping 40% of Gen Z adults, those are people born after 1997, um, say that they have spent money on doomsday supplies in 2022. So this is now becoming I guess it's it's multi it's multi generational, it's across every income level. Um, there was a buyer who um, was interviewed by the New York Times because he bought one of these doomsday condos, which I'll, I'll explain in a little bit. But just to give you an idea of what the thinking is behind it, they this person who who had just bought a one point five million dollar survival condo. Um, yes, those are on the market, said, I feel we're in the most dangerous era in history, and I wanted to make this investment to protect myself from nuclear wars and societal collapse. And I think it's probably the second one that, I, actually, I think both of them are, are on the table. So the, I, I think $11 billion does not include all the money billionaires are spending on their in-quote bunkers. And it, we're bringing this up because, um, one, I don't think billionaires know any more than the rest of us know about what's going on in the world. And they don't have a crystal ball that we don't have. They can't look into the future. You don't think they're seeing into the financial collapse maybe at a higher level than a lot so of us? I, so I think, impending I, financial I, I think financial collapse, they have a whole bunch of um, investments that will Protect make them. them still billionaires if there is a financial collapse. Yeah. I think they're preparing, though. If in case there is a financial collapse or if there's a food collapse or an energy collapse, have they prepared themselves to 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 live comfortably should that happen, which is why they're they're uh, they're building these these bunkers to protect themselves. The eleven billion dollars, I think this is people who are, are going to Patriot Supply. They're getting foods or a generator or canning supplies um, in, in an effort to go. Am I somewhat prepared should something bad Or they're happen? going off the grid buying like a cabin somewhere in the woods in Tennessee or Kentucky with, or Alaska or with whatever. A, with a wood stove that they can cook on top of. Yeah. Things like that. So, But but Gen Z, born 97 or after, I mean, these are 26-year-old and younger adults who are investing. And by the way, a lot of them are liberal. This is not just conservatives. Uh, they're afraid that if Trump wins, there's going to be a dictatorship and economic collapse. I think the, the so people on the right and the left each have their own reasons, right? We've done, we've done the podcast on um, on homesteading. A lot of people are homesteading to say, "I want to be able to grow my own food and can my own." So my, worried my about own the food, food supply. Yeah. Rid of this. So, but this is this goes to a, I think a broader point. Um, there is an unconsciousness uh, of concern that has penetrated throughout the society. People feel that things aren't right. And whether it's $34 trillion in debt, whether they saw the cracks in the supply chain over COVID, they said something's not right there, our reliance on China, um, but or also- Or even like what's what the World Economic Forum, they're seeing what's happening in Europe with farmers and some of these you know globalist climate policies affecting the food supply here, or China buying up farmland, or Bill Gates buying up farmland. 
All of that's making people going, what's going on? What's happening? And also the wars. You have, you have yeah. Russia, Ukraine, you have uh, Hamas and Israel. But also, this didn't get as much attention, but um, Iran had a terrorist attack in Pakistan. Pakistan responded by attacking Iran. Pakistan has a nuclear power. So is That's India. So is China. You have China threatening to invade Taiwan. I mean, there's global instability that's taking place right now, and that makes people feel uncomfortable. There was yeah. a time, go back to the 80s and the 90s, and even the 2000s, people felt secure with American global leadership, American innovation, American manufacturing. That is disintegrated. Yeah. Over the course of the last 15, 20 years. And so. And people, now we can't even depend on our laws or our government or our constitution to protect us because we've seen so many constitutional rights being violated um, all over the all over the map um, just over the last few years, starting with COVID, with so many mandates that were unconstitutional with America now has political prisoners. Yes, we do. There those Many of those people who are imprisoned um, or being surveilled by our government, those are political dissidents. Um, we have that going on right now. We have Donald Trump being pulled off of, you know, ballots in different states, um, you know, that attempts to, to make sure that you can't vote for who you want to vote for. So a lot a lot of political instability in America, too. Sean, before, before you give more analysis, can I just, because it's just fun, can I tell you what what these billionaires are building? Yes, tell me what they're building. Okay, so Mark Zuckerberg is Mark Zuckerberg. He doesn't just oh, invest slash Meta. That's right. He doesn't just invest in messing up and interfering in elections in Wisconsin. Right. He does more than that. He does more than that. Um, he is building a one hundred million dollar hidden fortress underneath his Hawaiian island ranch. Mm. Um, it has its own energy, its own food supply. It has blast resistant doors. Idaho's richest man, I don't know if you know this, Sean, he's a wellness entrepreneur. His name is Frank Vandersloot. He bought a $2,000 ranch um, just south of Zuckerberg's um, compound in Hawaii. So I guess Hawaii is a place that people feel like if something goes wrong, Hawaii is just far enough away. Um, if we can, you know, keep our own energy there um, and food supply and blast resistant doors, we can live there. He spent 51 million there. Um, AI, OpenAI CEO, um, Sam Altman, he and Peter Thiel have um, decided that New Zealand's the place to go. They have together some sort of compound there. Um, and interestingly, there is a nonprofit. It's a coalition of physicists and other researchers, and they have what's called the Bulletin of Atomic Scientists. They set their doomsday clock. Right. 90 seconds to midnight, which is the closest that they say humanity has been to doomsday in that clock in 76 years of the mm. history of that clock. So again, that, that time bomb that people think, I don't know, no pun intended there, but people feeling, feeling the, uh, just that fear is, is building and, and the billionaires are reacting. Now, people who may not be a billionaire like Mark Zuckerberg, um, they're like, well, maybe I can afford a $1.5 million survival contract. <laughs> and as I said, the New York Times did a story. They were able to go in. These are, are nuke proof war shelters, if you will, but they're super luxe. You know, they have, you know, 
designer furniture, pools, hot tubs, um, you know, screens on the walls so you can see outside and see what's going on. There's special air filtration in, in you know, for, for in case there's contamination in the, in the air. They have wind turbines and solar panels so that they have electricity. And they also have an area so that you can plant and fish farm. Um, I, I guess that's that's available to them as well. So people at all income levels are doing this. People we know are just going, I'm gonna buy a little piece of, you know, five acres somewhere in the mountains. I, I know people with bought compounds in the mountains of, um, of Tennessee. Um, so they just have like, you know, 20 acres and they have little tiny cabins so that each family can live in the in the cabins so first of all you're building a bunker let's not unpack this, 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 this you're going to build a bunker because you're afraid there could be nuclear war and your power source is a windmill and solar panels i guarantee you your your solar panels aren't going to work and your windmills aren't going to work you're going to be powerless as you sit down in your little bunker i'm okay, sure they've off. worked all this out they, they yeah. ha, they've if, convinced people to pay so if you have million. so if if you have some nuclear reactor that's going to work for your for your uh, for your bunker great or if you have a whole bunch of diesel or propane that can you know put you mean turn the lights on that's another thing so look set that aside listen I don't listen. We're going to get vaporized with nuclear war. I don't. That's not going to happen. I don't think. Um, but I do think. I, I do, and I've and I've said this on our you show. You say it's not going to happen, Sean. But the Daily Mail, even I mean, this don't, is how don't much quote people the Daily are afraid. Mail to me. I'm just saying. I know. I know. The Daily Mail. But said, even come on. the Daily Mail is having articles. We listen. The Daily Mail is pop culture, so right? They'll do everything from politics to you know the latest on Taylor Swift or the royal family, and they are doing articles on. Where's the best place to live in, in case there's a nuclear war? And what I'm saying is people are afraid of World War III. This, the political speeches from Donald Trump last week um, brought that up, saying, hey, we may be entering into World War III with Joe Biden. I mean, these are things that we never thought about in prior elections. They're suddenly well, on the table. So just let me just, so there was, this a, moment again, in time. There was a, a time when we had mutual assured destruction where we had the U.S. and the Soviet Union missiles pointing at each other. If one launched, the other launch, humanity is wiped out the face of the earth. The truth today is so many countries have nuclear weapons and you rely on these countries right. and the sanity of those countries to make sure they don't use them. We're fearful of an arms, nuclear arms race in the Middle East. You know, Iran gets weapons, does Saudi Arabia get weapons? Like how does, how does that build out? Um, that aside, I think the bigger concern, this has been mine, I'm like, you know, I think there, there, there is a concerted effort in a political movement to attack our food supply. There's a concerted effort to attack our energy supply. Mm -hmm. um, our politics are being undermined and there, may, there might be very challenging political times ahead of us. We see the violence that's used by the left riding through the streets, riding in you know, DC, yelling at you know, Rand Paul and Dan Bongino. Um, in the last, in the last, in the last years, several years. Yeah. And so I look at this and go, you know what? I just wanna know how to do shit. Um, and so I want to get a farm. We've talked about that. I think to grow your own food, to know how to can your own food, to have some, you, know, you have some chickens and maybe some hogs and you can get eggs and you can have some, some meat, simple things. And that's actually, it's not simple, but to learn how to do different things, I think really matters. To not be so um, dependent on the system. On the system. That's yeah. right. And I think a lot of people are doing that. How do I become less dependent? I'm going to, I'm going to get bees. I'm going to try my hand at beekeeping. Love, honey. Um, and so 
that's what I think a lot of people. And then I know that in my own family, they've, they've bought the, the 20 year, it last for 20 year food supply or a generator that they can generate, you know, electricity from a solar panel. Things are, people are making those kind of purchases um, because if, if you can't go to the grocery store, right, all of a sudden you have a, a, a food supply that might last you a week, a month, but real problems exist. We saw this with toilet paper in COVID. Everyone goes to the grocery store and as needed buys toilet paper until toilet paper doesn't exist and there's a run on it. And all of a sudden people have some real crappy issues to deal with when they can't get toilet paper. Or they, people are just overbuying because they're afraid that there's gonna be a shortage or whatever. Well, that's, that was overbuying then. But I mean, yeah. my point is when it went away, you realize that you don't have enough to last an eternity. You rely on your grocery store or Walmart yeah. or Costco to, 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 to well, fund I think that people, supply. And, and I think a lot of people are like, you know what, I'm gonna have, uh, um, I, when they saw the supply chain break, they decided there are certain items, paper towels, toilet paper, things like that, some medicines that don't go bad, um, don't expire and they can keep them on hand just in case. I think it comes down to this. I mean, for the billionaires to do, you know, for, for Mark Zuckerberg to build a bunker, which by the way, I, I have a lot of, I've seen the, the images of what he's doing. The people that who are building this underground bunker, and it is elaborate. If you see the, the drawings for it, it goes deep, deep down under how Mark Zuckerberg got the permit to do this with all their eco, you know, I mean, he must be disrupting so many ecological, um, you know, forms of life underground in beautiful Hawaii. Um, I don't know how he's getting all this, the, the materials shent, sent over to this, you know, fairly remote island. Um, it's one of the more remote islands in Hawaii. You know, how he's getting all this sent over. He is his own, the carbon footprint for just Mark Zuckerberg and his ridiculous ranch with his like, what, he has like two kids. Um, I don't know how he got the permits. I don't know how he's, he's breaking all these rules. Oh, Barack Obama, by the way, breaking lots of eco rules in Hawaii, getting, you know, walls built on, on this pristine beach that he has his, his mansion on. So they, they just live by a different set of rules. The point is for them, it'd be like me and you saying, let's put aside a hundred dollars to buy some extra toilet paper in case there's a, a run on toilet paper later. Um, that's probably what it costs. You know, Mark Zuckerberg, he doesn't know what to do with all the money he has. Um, and that's why this whole system is, is, is becoming so we're, 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 we're seeing, and I think that's another fear. We're entering into a more feudal system Ooh. where we have these ultra, just obscenely rich people like Bezos and and Zuckerberg and Altman and all these people and they're just so filthy rich they don't know what to do with their money and then there's you know so many more people struggling to get by um and i think this th that sort of feudal system that that liberal policies are creating this disparity between the haves and the have nots that's becoming more accentuated is part of liberal policies that are happening right now and covid accelerated that we saw this enormous transfer of wealth from you know, small business owners to these oligarchical, you know, oligarchs uh, that we have now. And I think that it's scary. So I find this interesting. You have the likes of Mark Zuckerberg that promote a president that is undermining the very American system 
that has allowed for people to actually very readily buy things and have the money to get things in, in, in whether it's again food or energy for their family. He has aggressively worked to undermine that. And he's used climate change to do it as to your point, his his carbon footprint is massive. Um, but that's okay for Mark Zuckerberg. But he's concerned about what's going to come and therefore build a bunker. But it's his very ideas that are creating the instability yeah. in our society and our culture, which I, I've, I, I think that's that's fascinating. And a lot of these liberal billionaires who are building bunkers, their policies are the ones that are, are, are driving the, the, uh, the instability and angst. And I look at this and I think, okay, sometimes I think I'm crazy until I bring up my crazy to people and they're like, well, we're doing this too, or we're doing that, or we've thought about this. But when the billionaires are to a way greater extent doing things that we've talked about, I'm like, maybe we're not so crazy. And to be prepared as a family, to fortify your family, we talk about that with the family itself. We talk about it with our faith, but you know, making sure we can take care of ourselves. Those are important things. Um, and that you think about that. Again, I don't, just to make this point, uh, 80 years ago, this is not an issue because Americans lived on farms and they knew how to do all this stuff. They were self-reliant. Right now, so many of us are not self-reliant. We rely on the system. And I think there's a movement to say, I want to be more self-reliant. I want to be able to take care of myself and my family. And I think that's where this is, this is coming from. And in the end, I think this is a really good trait. More Americans. Um, Coming being more self-reliant. More independent, more self-reliant. Um, there's, a, there's, there, there's a feeling of freedom that comes from that. Yeah. And to even have these little, little, little liberal Gen Zers have that touch of freedom that they can take care of themselves is probably a really good thing for democracy. I think it is good. And I think the other part of the, the other flip side of this is, you know, and it's great to be, you know, prepared. It's great to, to learn new skills. Um, it's great to revive the, the, the kind of skill sets that our grandparents had that we've lost. Yes. Um, I think it's all fantastic. And by the way, our podcast, um, with, uh, our farmer, what's, um, uh, Joel. Yeah. Joel, old, not old team. <laughs> Joel, uh, Gosh, why are we going to get his last name? Oh, my gosh. Um, is one of our favorite podcasts that we've ever done um, on homesteading. And uh, and so I think there's a real desire for that. And um, and, and, I, and I think that that's great. But I think the other flip side. Joel Salatine. Oh, Salatine. God, that's right. Salatine. Well, he said. Go, go back and, 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 and listen to that podcast. It's fantastic. Um, and and, and we, we talk about specifically the homestead part of this discussion really in depth. And it's, it's one of our most popular podcasts that we've ever done. And it's, it's fantastic. And I think that's all great. The farm is the new 401k from Joel. The farm is the new 401k, um, was the name of that podcast. And you, you should absolutely go back and listen to that. It's a fantastic one. But the other side of this, the other component is the spiritual side. I'm reading a book um, by a theologian, Scott Hahn, called Catholics in Exile, but it applies to all Christians. We are in exile. This yeah. is not our home. And so the other part in finding peace is, of course, the stuff we're talking about in this podcast, being, you know, being self-reliant, being prepared. But, you know, earth is not really our home. Um, we are in exile. Um, we are people who've always been in exile, if you look at it from biblical times. And our true home is 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 in heaven. And it doesn't mean that we shouldn't enjoy life here and make the most of it and, and, and build relationships. But those relationships that we're building 
Um, and, and that should be our focus on building our tribe, building our relationship, keeping our faith as strong and as grounded as we can, because ultimately our true home um, is not the bunker in the Hawaiian islands on this lonely mm. ranch uh, with Mark Zuckerberg. It sounds like a really horrible existence, actually, if you ask me. Um, as beautiful as I'm sure it is, I would not want to be there with Mark Zuckerberg. He seems like kind of a weirdo. And um, I don't want to live in his lonely little ranch over there. Um, I want to live with my family, my little tribe, uh, my big tribe, actually. You have a big tribe. I have a big tribe. And I want to build those bonds because ultimately my goal is um, to get this tribe to heaven. And that's our true home. And I, and I hope that that's where these discussions ultimately lead people because we shouldn't be afraid of all the things that are happening in the world. They're crazy and, we, and they're concerning. And we should be trying to do the best we can to make this place a wonderful place and, and put the right leaders in place who have um, you know our best interests in mind. But ultimately, this is not our home. No, and, and I think it's, again, it's fortifying all parts of our life and being self-reliant. I think uh, what's interesting, Joel, Joel Salatine made this point. He said, "The farmer, the farmer, our favorite." Um, he was. It was a great. It was such a fun podcast. But what what he was talking about is you have a food system, where you have all these massive big farms that consolidate their grains into you know you know four or five big processing centers. Same thing with meat. Big farms and you know four big meat processors throughout the country. And the point was, there's not a lot of resilience in that. Resilience comes from a whole bunch of people on little farms and a whole bunch of little meat processors and food processors um, that build resiliency throughout a country. And that made a lot of sense to me. And, and more people going back, again, Democrats uh, are progressives. This is not, people, <laughs> we're not progressing. We're actually reverting back to some of the ideas that our, our grandparents and great, great grandfathers had, which is, again, uh, it was a great country then. So not bad that we're. It's not just resiliency. About. It's that when you consolidate all your your grains or your meat processing into these big giant things, um, these big giant companies, you you don't really have control over what really is happening to your meat so or true. how your meat was raised. Um, and so if you have a farmer down the road that you can buy your meat from, or your butter or your milk, um, you kind of know. You have a, such a m much more direct control over you. You know them closer to your food source, and you and you know them, yeah. and you and they will tell you. This is how I raised when we got our pig. That farmer told me this is where my pigs are. I could see them. We drove by the pigs. We drove by every day. We drive by the pigs. We go. Mm, that mm. pig's not going to be here very long. And we knew there were there were walnut trees there that they were, you know, um, they were roaming around. They were roaming around. Mm -hmm. I knew what they were eating. My farmer told me what he was feeding them, um, and I knew where they were getting processed and killed. So these are the kinds. Of, I, I think it's not just resiliency in the food supply. It's how do we eat more healthy? Because also being healthier means we're less dependent on medicines and on big pharma and on hospitals. We take care of ourselves better. And a lot of these medicines are coming from China. So you're confident with China, you may not see yourself getting the medicines that you need. So and try to get healthy. 100%. Fascinating conversation. I love our topics, politics, Joy Reid and the crazy left on trying to over-sexualize our children and celebrating um, the rape of children, too bad. But also that all leads into this idea that people are trying to protect themselves um, whether they're rich with bunkers or people that have a, a garden to a, a little mini farm, 
trying to think through how they are more resilient as a family. So uh, great conversation. I want to thank you all for joining us at the kitchen table. If you like our podcast, you can rate, review, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can always find us at foxnewspodcasts.com. Please subscribe. You get a notice every time we drop. That's Wednesday, Thursday, and Fridays, uh, three days in a row of From the Kitchen Table. Um, and until next time, thank you for being with us. Have a great day. Bye, everybody. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on the Amazon Music app.